Welcome to Free Write. This is Sienna. And Brian, that is just staring at me. I was supposed to say his name. You know, we'll get it. We'll hash it out one of these days. Whenever you're ready, I guess you can edit out the pause. Alright, I'm here. So, <laughs> yeah. I think that for the past couple podcasts, uh, we forgot to mention the email address. Like, the official email address. Yeah, we'll just tack that in on the end. Just in case somebody out there in the ether uh-huh. is listening. Because we're going to start posting. I mean, we've posted. Yeah, we've already posted. And <laughs> <laughs> the game is up now. The yeah. Jig, the jig is up. Jeez, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It shouldn't surprise people. That's how some podcasts come out, though. They yeah. record in advance, and then... It's like TV shows. TV shows do that, too. Mm-hmm. This is so. true. Yeah. So, anyways. So, I know that Sienna... Our email. No, our email. Oh, yeah. Uh, free, <laughs> it's Freewrite, Sienna Bryan. And that's Freewrite, S-I-E-N-A. It's actually Brian Sienna. Bri- don't listen to me. What's the email address? <laughs> this is, you know, you gotta be patient with us. It's the first time us trying to actually say what the email is, so bear with us here. Um, the email address is. Don't edit this out, Brian. It's freewritebriansienna at gmail.com. Freewritebriansienna. So, I, what I was going to say is that Brian is B R I A N and Sienna is S I E N A. That's probably good to call. Yeah. Good call. Because there's multiple ways to spell both names, but. But it's going to be in the show notes anyways. Yeah. So, it's all good. And the reason you would want to email us is because, in case they didn't listen to the first one, is because we would love to hear from you if you have any topics that you would like us to discuss. Because if you haven't learned yet, we have different ways of looking at the world. So, it will be a discussion. No matter what. I want to know who these people are that haven't <laughs> listened to the first episode and are coming in episode three. Three, yeah. Really yeah. super interested. Yeah. I mean, I get it if it's like episode 100 and you want to skip the first 100 episodes of a podcast, yeah. you know? Because that's Listen, what I did with. I feel like if we go and start acting like we're at episode 100 at episode three, that's how you do it. Yeah. Okay? Not. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you get the good attitude. I like, in I, life. Un, I understand and I like the logic uh-huh. behind that. Right. But? 100%. And? No, there's no other, no buts. No? No judges. So the topic that I had thought of, because Sienna in the last episode said that she was going to come up with a topic. Yeah, I was wrong. Well, it was because I came up with the last topic to bring onto the podcast. But you're just going to talk more in this one. All right. So the topic. <laughs> What's funny is he's holding a, a cup that says "Don't speak yet," which is great. It's my it's my coffee slash tea cup. Yeah. Um. So the topic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so many distractions this episode. Yeah. I uh, was listening to an audiobook and I heard the quote. Uh, Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And that's kind of a famous quote. People have heard it a million times. Okay. Um, 
And I, I think it's kind of self-explanatory. I mean, it just means if you're making an extraordinary claim, mm-hmm. you should be able to back it up. That's at least what the common, what everybody takes from it. But I sure. thought it was interesting to look a little deeper into that and ask what, ask the question, what is an extraordinary claim? What, what consists of an extraordinary claim? And why should that be supported by evidence? I want, I want to ask why to that quote. All right. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So what, what do you think, like, an extraordinary claim is? What would you call an extraordinary claim? Mm, you should go first. Do you have one in mind? Because um, I need a minute. Kind of. I was just... I think that any claim you make is going to involve extraordinary factors. I think that no one claim can really be considered more extraordinary than another. Um, Obviously not, like, pragmatically speaking. But I think that uh, a claim that I saw a crazy pileup yesterday on the freeway is not any more extraordinary than saying uh, I believe in a flying uh, spaghetti monster that created us. I think that pragmatically, yes, one of those things seems more outlandish than another. Yeah. But that's just, you know... But when you really consider that the the world around us is pretty unverifiable Mm -hmm. as it stands, you know... Yeah. In terms of what evidence is, I don't think you have good evidence to support any claim. So I would say all claims require a leap of faith and at least to one degree or another. And calling one claim more extraordinary than another is just saying more about your value set than the claim itself. Sure. Okay. Uh, that's a tough one. I, I don't really have... Maybe we should have had this had this uh, reviewed before we came into this. <laughs> I did offer earlier to to talk about it a little bit just to get the juices flowing, but yeah, but I don't think I would have been. Well, let's, because I'm interested to know what your opinion is. What do you take for every day? You know for sure is 100. percent Let's take it that way. Okay. Like, you wake up in the morning. What is for sure going to happen that day? I'm gonna go pee. Yeah. <laughs> so I. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that that's... You don't know for sure that that's going to happen. A meteorite could hit our apartment and, you know... That's true. Saying that you know otherwise is kind of extraordinary to me. All right. Right? All right. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, do you do you disagree with any part of that? Or is there... Um. I... No, actually, that's actually a uh, something that maybe we agree on is that the fact that, I mean, everything is extraordinary in itself. Um, I think that, yeah, I like the idea that your values, I mean, it's just like the bias, you know, you have your own biases and so one comment made by one person isn't going to hit as extraordinary to the other person. Is that what you're saying? Uh, 
Kind of, yeah. I'm saying that the way... And why can't you have an, uh, the, the, the thing I would say is, like, why, why can't you have evidence if it's tangible? What's tangible? Well, like, um, say that I, um, I kicked the goal for the tournament to win. So that's, like, there's tangible evidence, like, of me doing that. So you're saying that if there's if there's video of it, yeah, or eyewitnesses, or like all of that, all of the above, and me yeah. doing it and the ball. Well, you're <laughs> so you're asking me why that is any less real or mm, mm-hmm. than most people take it to be. Yeah, is that well, the question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't want to sound like a stereotypical person but if you have <laughs> how dare you if you went through any sort of philosophy 101 you've ever looked at philosophy you if you've ever heard a Billie eilish song you know the phrase i think therefore i am mm-hmm. so great well, song by the way <laughs> yeah well Billie eilish is a good artist <laughs> um so basically what descartes was saying when he came up with that is even if, for some reason, I am asleep and dreaming or being tricked by some sort of evil demon that's out there mm-hmm. that is causing me to think this is my life, mm-hmm. either way, there is still a thing being deceived. I am still thinking. I have to think in order for that scenario to work. Okay. He says, even if I am being deceived, there has to be something there to deceive. Sure. So I know I exist because I think. Mm-hmm. Either way, whether any of this is real or not. Right. And I think that that is probably the only claim you can make for sure. And there's actually solid arguments against that. (laughs) But I think that saying that I saw a video of you kicking a ball into a goal Mm -hmm. is unverifiable because, I mean, you know what a deep fake video is? I mean, yeah, I think we've talked about it before. It's just your, it's just somebody made up a video. Yeah, it's somebody, we have technology now to edit things. I mean, even if I saw you directly kick a ball into a goal. Yeah. If I'm up in the stands and Mm -hmm. I think it's you, there's no way for sure that I can tell. I mean, if you drop a pencil into a glass, you can see that there's this visual distortion that happens, right? Yeah. So our eyes are really easily tricked. I think we have these senses that sort of map out the world around us so that we can navigate through our lives. Mm-hmm. But I think that because those are so easily deceived and because there's no real evidence that can, you know, like I said, pragmatically, if you want to say that, you know, because we can't prove it, we just sort of have to accept that it's real to move on with life. Otherwise, yeah. we'd be stuck at this square one the whole time. We'd be pretty crazy. Certain presets that we have to accept as logical premises for further arguments. So I think that, um, I think that calling things fact or verifiable is kind of dangerous when you don't precedent that, or when you don't start with, you know, accepting that X, Y, Z, and true are true. I have this argument to make. Not enough people actually say things like that. They say X, Y, Z are true. And then they leave it at that. Mm, You know, so what I'm saying is that, yeah, I guess it's pretty obvious what I'm saying. 
saying that extraordinary claims are all over the place and you need a leap of faith to get up in the morning and believe that you're going to go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty daunting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to divert from that and talk about the uh, aspect of what you were saying where I think, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me of this exercise that I did, a spiritual exercise that I did, where it was uh, asking asking yourself, who are you? And you're like, well, I'm, you know, I am a mom, or I, I guess I should probably do me. I was like, well, I... I'm a wife, I am an entrepreneur, I sing, I this, I that. And it's like, yeah, but is that your, is that all that you are? And, or have you been a wife forever? No. Okay, well then, that isn't who you are. And so just continuing to ask yourself, okay, who you are, who you are. And what I ended up at at the end was just I am because just me speaking the words I am is enough that's just like the present being <laughs> yeah of existence and that's really the only thing that you can state to be true is in the present moment I am the end and uh, I thought that was just interesting going off of what you were saying. Is there things in philosophy that base off of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots. I mean, I heard about that practice before, but I heard it in kind of a different way. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like, uh, I'll do it for me now. So mm-hmm. like, who are you? I am uh, an assembly line worker. I am, you know, a man. I'm a husband. So I feel like these are just titles. Mm-hmm. That's what people people generally start with what they do for work, their marital status. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember and, you helping. Yeah, and their gender. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I talked with with you about this. But people just list off a bunch of titles because that's how they want the other person to look at them. Sure. And I've seen like most people when they're talking to you, you can tell a lot about a person when you're getting to know them, not that that happens a lot for me, but about (laughs) what titles they give you about themselves. Mm -hmm. Because it tells you, like, what's most important to them, Mm. um, you know, what they want you to know is most important to them. Mm -hmm. That's probably more accurate. (laughs) Yeah. The image they want to portray is what's most important to them and stuff like that. So that's, yeah, there's that. And there's also, um, um, so... Have you heard of the ship of Theseus? No. Okay, let's say I have a boat. Okay. And I replace one plank on that boat mm-hmm. every day until at the end of the day I have a brand new boat. Okay. At what point in that process did I make a new boat? I Is feel it like the first plank. The first plank? Yeah. Yeah, so if you kind of think about the human body in terms of that, Mm -hmm. our cells are constantly shedding old cells, regenerating new ones. We age because we stop doing that. Right. So I, you know, uh, you can kind of use the same metaphor for 
who you are from moment to moment. Because what I think is that people, in order to have some shred of coherency to this life, I think people give themselves a personality and say this collection of of experiences that I've had, this collection of moments, mm-hmm. is who I am. I'm going to thread those together, and that's going to help me moving forward. Well, that and that that's just like the job of your ego at that point. Yeah, you yeah, know? well, yeah. Your mind has to like, uh, and I'm not, I'm not a psychologist, obviously. Of course. Um, I have a PhD though. <laughs> in bullshit hey got Uh, it winning (laughs) but i i think that uh yeah i think once you realize that you're living in one moment forever as one state of being Mm -hmm. you know that's also a thing in philosophy you know there's i say a thing in philosophy but really everything is a thing in philosophy (laughs) yeah if you think about it and you ask questions about it and you love asking questions about it you're doing philosophy yeah you know it's true you don't have to go to school or anything for it no i mean it's great to study it because that's helpful but that's how you get because i i found that like when i first started reading Mm -hmm. i was when i took that philosophy 101 class i had all these great ideas and i thought that i knew better than everybody else (laughs) but then i you know when i decided to go do reading on my own i was like oh shit there's a huge history of people that have had all these ideas and they got thrown out the window for one reason or another or some people held on to them super fast and have really good arguments for them. Mm-hmm. And it's just a good world of, of knowledge yeah. you can get into. And different viewpoints. And it also, I'm sure, humbles you a little bit. Yeah. the tendency, like you were saying, is to be like, I figured it out. Did me, Yes. I figured out everything. Don't worry about it. I got all the answers. And so when you read or... And I feel like this has this is a good lesson for everything in life, you know? And it's why I think that it's so important for people to have conversations with people they don't agree with. Or, you know, conscious conversations. Kind conversations. Respectful. Um, is because of that. It's like... We all have these lenses that we walk through life with. We all have these um, biases, these perceptions, so on and so forth. And we, we look at somebody else that may not be in that same avenue and go, oh, well, here's where they're wrong. Or, oh, well, I know better because. And if you have a conversation with that same person and get to know where they're coming from, then it kind of humbles you out. You're like, oh, well, I didn't know that. Hmm, okay, I can see why you'd be doing that then, and so on and so forth. And so I think that that's why I really like that you got into philosophy, too, is I think it helped our conversations because I was just another type of philosophy, I guess, like for you to like learn about. And you may not agree with, but just a different, like, way of looking at the world. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we disagree about a lot of stuff. And I feel like before I was able to look at things in a more fair way and balanced way, we would kind of hit a wall on it and just be like, we have to agree to disagree on certain things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I feel like that's definitely changed. We can reach a kind of consensus. There's still stuff that we're going to disagree about 
Sure. Till you know, the end of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm open to that changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, yeah, both ways. I mean, randomly, if I wake up one day and I've, you know, accepted that if I've like transitioned to your set of spiritual beliefs, then there you go. Yeah. But I think you just need to go on a really good mushroom trip. <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> just really yeah. just take yourself on a journey that's usually how you find uh, a bigger access to truth is by taking mind altering substances that, that remove you further from reality what is reality even yeah I mean <laughs> I know you're joking but that's I, I agree with that I think that well do you want to go deeper into that why would a mind altering substance bring me closer to reality as opposed to further away I believe that there are multiple layers to reality and there that's why a lot of spiritual communities will <laughs> uh, our cat is not happy um, I think that that's why a lot of spiritual communities kind of will separate things into like 3D, 4D, 5D is because there's different lenses for the world. And I mean, I guess if you wanted to like look it into it more of a tangible 3D experience, then um, I feel like earth, um, nature would be the most the best way to connect and be part of the spiritual essence. I I guess what I'm trying to say is mushrooms allow you to get more connected to your body. And if you're more connected to your body, then your senses are more heightened. And when your senses are more heightened, then you're able to possibly see or feel things in a way that you weren't able to see possibly previously can i ask a clarifying question sure what does more connected to your body mean i think that or at least through my experience and through the experience of what i've heard from others but of course i can't really verify those because those are just stories um when let's say i will i can go through a day and not be connected to my body and I will hit things. I will not be aware of anything because my mind is floated off to completely somewhere else. It is not in my body. I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing with my body, how things feel. Uh, I won't be able to smell things as, as intensely. And it's because my mind and body aren't connected. So then there's times when I meditate in the morning especially when I meditate in the morning. And I just take that time to pay attention to the subtleties of my body. It's like, oh, I feel a little bit of a tingling sensation in my hands today. Or I feel a little bit of pain going down my leg. Or... When I breathe in deeply, 
my body begins to relax. Those are the, like, the, that connection between my mind and body enhances my senses. So the rest of the day, I'm walking taller, I have more purpose with what I'm doing, and I smell things more. I have way more um, attention to the smells that are going on. I feel things more, um, more presently, I guess. It's, uh, yeah, be more present to the senses. And I think what happens to people is there's this tendency to just kind of numb out um, and go through life, whether that be that just it was a coping mechanism to a habit to whatever it may be, and it um, allow it causes a block. So coming back to my point, if I was to go walk in the woods and just run through and just be like, I gotta get to the end. I gotta get to the end and just like keep my head down and just go. And that's one way of doing it, but that's not actually heightening my senses. Another way of going would be taking my shoes off or slowly walking and breathing and taking in the air and really scanning around and slowly like looking at everything and the details and the trees and and the birds and being seeing how they fly and just really experiencing allows that connection to your body and it I mean it sends for me it sends like good feeling chemicals you know dopamine stuff to my body when I do stuff like that Uh, and that feels like a oneness yeah. And therefore, spirituality experience. Can I give you uh, an alternate belief of what I think is happening there? Sure, of course. So, you know that test where you watch some people playing basketball and you have to count how many times they pass the basketball back and forth? Have you ever seen that video? No. But... And what you don't realize while you're watching this video is that there's a guy in a full gorilla suit walking through the video. Nobody oh. sees the gorilla suit guy. I have seen that. It's actually. very famous. Everybody's probably seen it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's probably beating their heads against their whatever desk they're sitting at or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And saying, yes, I know. Please move on. But my, uh, what I think is happening there is you are consciously choosing to focus on something different than what you normally would be doing. I think the brain is really good at filtering out what you do every day. That's why you can drive to work and not remember a single red light. Mm -hmm. I think that what you're choosing to do there is you're choosing to put your brain on B path instead of A path, where you're looking for, um, where you're looking for details that you want to look at. You're looking at the bird instead of the road. <laughs> uh, I'm a safe driver, guys. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Just ask that nice family down the street. Oh, trying to, <laughs> trying to cross the road when no. Sienna was having an off day. That's not true. She wasn't connected to her body, so it's false. Fine. False. I, <laughs> none of that happened. <laughs> the police are knocking on the door. We gotta, we gotta <laughs> move along. Oh, man. Uh, so what I think you're doing, though, is I think you're choosing to look at that bird to pay attention to how like the physical things that are happening with your body mm-hmm. and and you're shutting off in return something else i think what your brain does there's this phenomenon that happens when people are like trying to figure out a problem 
and they can't, and then they go do something else and they think of the solution. Mm-hmm. And I think that the what you're doing there is you're switching tracks for your brain. You're like, I'm going to focus on everything physical right now. And I think part of the reason why that feels so good later is because your brain was able to use your subconscious for it's something different. And again, I'm not a psychologist, but that's my... I was going to say, I, I can't deny what you're saying. I'm just saying, is that a possibility to you? Or do you think that, no, it's It doesn't... Not. I, I can't say out of science-wise, because I'm not a psychologist either. No, just your opinion. But yeah. what it feels like is not that. Okay. It doesn't feel like that. Yeah, fair enough. But again, I mean, who knows? Like, what it feels like is when I'm, like, on autopilot and stuff, I'm either having anxiety or stress or something, and I feel like, it feels like autopilot. It feels like, it doesn't feel like a focus. It feels like a, like an overdrive. And so it has to, so maybe it's, like, choosing to shut down other senses because I'm on overdrive in my brain. I'm just saying, but that that's what it feels like. You're using your conscious mind to to look. I think that when you when you switch your conscious mind to to kind of hyper awareness to your physical surroundings, yeah, I think that uh, your brain is probably switching into a different mode there. Yeah, but you were asking the original question was, what does it mean to be more? connected to your body yeah well yeah i was so i mean in terms of and that's where that i mean that's where that came from that's what i was i mean that was the whole that was the whole point yeah was that you wanted to know i mean yeah like i could run through life without being connected to my body but it it doesn't feel as wholesome it doesn't feel as rewarding yeah, I wasn't suggesting that you do that. No, I know. Yeah. I know. I'm just explaining, like, uh, the point of why I was... I guess just to clarify, what I was saying was, uh, and you may have understood this, please let me know if you did, but I was saying, uh, is it that you're more connected to your body, or is it that you're just focusing on things that you wanted to focus on more? I see. I... I think it starts with the intention on, it starts with the intention of focusing on things more in a different way and leads to more of a connection. So you're saying you can build a more healthy connection through doing that more often? Right. I guess that I can't really argue with you when it comes to meditation and mindfulness because the, I mean, you want to talk about evidence in terms of what's, you know, again, pragmatically that's that's I've seen it from you too you you become a much happier healthier person since you picked up mindfulness and meditation and and all that but uh, yeah reverting back to like the mushroom talk the mushroom yeah I just uh, so do you believe that that's a necessary thing to experience in order to get to that level no but I do believe that it can be a healing medicine. I'm not a doctor. I'm not enticing you to go take mushrooms, do whatever you feel right. But I have had the experience 
of like meeting meeting people that have told me that like they were having a really hard time doing the normal meditation and everything and like really struggling to catch on to it and then they took mushrooms and it was kind of like a it, it broke it broke a wall it broke it it broke kind of, they were like butting their head up against a wall and it broke the wall and it allowed them to come back for when they were sober and see things differently so which allowed them to then dive deeper into their mindful journey yeah okay i yeah i think what yeah and you could do that probably outside of mushrooms it could be something that you like i mean for the first year and a half of me um being on my spiritual like awakening stuff i chose not to drink and i chose not even to smoke weed it was a very intentional feeling in my body that was like you need to go through this sober so that you know you're not like worried about not believing yourself at the end of this because you you're right it is mind altering um and so for a long long time i decided to stay sober and i still had crazy experiences spiritually wise um while i was sober and it just it was more affirming for Hmm. me so these people that are um they take they take mushrooms or some other substance and mm-hmm. then they feel like it's broken that wall. Sure. Do you think that here's what I think some people do is I think they need permission. Sure. I can uh, see that. To to do something. Yeah. And so they use this experience that they've had mm-hmm. on a on a substance and they say that was really mind altering. Now I can go and do what I wanted. Sure. I think that people are really, what they're doing there is they're making a choice mm-hmm. and they don't want the responsibility for that choice. So they say, no, it's because the mushrooms finally allowed me or the, the weed finally let me through that door to mm-hmm. see what was, you know. I think that how many of those people do you think that's what they're doing versus how many people actually had a door opened for them? I think that it, I think those actually go in tandem, and the reason I believe that is because the ego is part of that story. It's the point that's, and when you're on shrooms, your ego starts to like diminish. It's like, and other drugs too. It it it, it starts to, your identity just becomes kind of like <laughs> whatever. But um, it. So because your ego takes a break for a moment and you're just kind of like there, uh, it is an experience that you can hold on to that when you come back to being sober, you're like, I mean, wow, that was quite an eye-opening experience. That really blew my mind. I never thought like that before. I've never been able to... um, allow myself to get to that point in my feelings uh so on so forth whatever the story may be and therefore when they do sober up it does kind of open that door and their ego is able to kind of like 
step back and be like, okay, we didn't die. We didn't die from that experience, and it, it felt pretty good. So maybe we can try that while we're sober, too. I just don't. It's hard for me to understand the logic in this because, and we've had this discussion numerous times, and I just can't wrap my head fully around it. Sure. But the fact that people, we, we have the ability at all times to choose what we want to think and what we want to do. Sometimes we have like intrusive thoughts that come in. Sometimes we have no control over our emotions. Things like that happen. But I'm saying that we have choices that we can make regardless of that and in spite of that. And um, it's hard for me to understand phrases like, this experience has allowed me mm-hmm. to make this decision for myself. Or this belief... Uh, this self-help book, anything really. You can substitute X, you know, Mm -hmm. for that. But you always had that choice. And I I know that, like, there... I'm not talking about situations with mental illness where people get help for that. Yeah. Because that, I do believe, is one of the only situations where you can truly not make a choice. Yeah. You you know? But I do think that... Not to interrupt. I do... But I do... I I just really want to point out that... You may not have mental illness, like, as as a general population. We may not have a, a men, mental illness, but we do have subconscious patterns that have been affirmed throughout the years as part of our survival yeah. that run the show. Well, okay. And they influence us greatly. So, you're consciousness may try to make a choice and then your subconscious will quietly not not like up in your face but quietly go that doesn't feel right don't do that and then you'll be like oh you know what actually i'm feeling like that's not for me and then you'll make a valid excuse potentially and and make it feel really like yeah that was my decision not to do that now and then your back to like a square one whereas like when you do those mind altering things it sometimes breaks that barrier and gets you into your that's why meditation is good is because it drops you more into your subconscious and that's why hypnotherapy and all that jazz is a thing as well yeah i well it's not so if you design a computer to with pattern recognition to look through a thousand photos for this specific image Mm -hmm. you know it can do it and that's essentially what people's brains do is it's a pattern recognition machine Mm -hmm. you know exercise come up in your past you were burned by a hot stove that's hot i'm not going to touch it anymore that's Mm -hmm. like a simple pattern recognition (laughs) i think that we do that with a more things than we realize absolutely but and so what i'm saying is i agree with you to a certain point but the reason why we can do things that computers can't at this time, mm-hmm. probably not for long, is <laughs> uh, that we have the ability to go against that. We can say, I recognize this pattern, whether we're conscious of doing it or not. Mm-hmm. We can look at situations, and I found myself doing this more and more often, um, is I look at the situation I'm in, if something's making me feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. I, I hold that uncomfortableness. I don't hold on to it, but I look at it. And I make my decision as much as I can 
in spite of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that I I have always had that ability. So yes. does every other person that does not have some sort of mental illness. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I believe every person has that ability. I just think that some people, I mean... I, I believe that it's important to say that everybody's brains are different, though, even if they're not mentally disabled, they are still different. So your strength to be able to do what you do is a strength. It is a part of your synapsis of your brain that is strong. So you've had to maybe use it it's been something you've had to practice throughout your life and so you have that skill set i'm not saying that people can't connect that part to their brains and have that skill as well but some people may not have it as strong or something traumatic happened in their life that cut it off completely well see that's the situation though that's outside of the rule this is true but But I will say that at least through the studies that I had through school of understanding like childhood development in their brains and I would assume that this I'm trying to think if they learn I I, I even learned up into teenagers that it continues um, that it's like we have these cords I don't know if you know much about this, but, like, it's like we have these cords in our brains. And, like, there's cords that run to certain points in our brains, and those points create skills that we have as individuals. And that's why everybody's so different. And those cords can be thin, and the electrical communication between them can be really slow, or... You can build it, or it just is stronger, and then the connection's faster. And when the connection's faster, you're able to make those decisions or those decisive actions faster. So if it's slow and something stops it before it gets to the end, because you have something else, like maybe a, a drill and rush or something comes and you're like never mind anxiety shut down then it won't actually make it to the end and then you're not able to use that skill well i don't i don't know i have to disagree because people i think that that's not every situation is the same but let's just spitball one out there let's okay. say that you are um you're driving and in order to uh, get to where you want to go as quickly as possible you because you have somebody who's dying next to you in the seat you run over people's yards with your car okay uh, so you know that you you've chosen to go into a situation that's uncomfortable for you because you had another option and it was more about priorities at that point point. and I think that throughout your day-to-day life you have little situations like that where you're doing the same thing. You're going against your pattern recognition. You know, maybe not all the time, yeah. but you're you're making that choice. And so everybody has that ability. It's just how often do you exercise it and do you wait for permission to exercise it? I think that that's the that's what people that's the question I think most people should ask themselves yeah. is are you waiting for permission to make a decision or are you doing it? Right. And, you know, for for important reasons. So it really comes down to priorities at the end of the day. 
and what's important for your happiness because I'm gonna say priorities but also and also uh, fears though come into play because like I mean this is something that I'm practicing all the time of trying to I mean that's why there's like uh, comfort crushers and stuff you know that's why there's things out there that you practice to get out of your comfort zone on a day-to-day basis or let's say that you're like really nervous about making videos to go on Instagram and you just like oh my god you're like whole body like wants to shake and you're like freaking out and sweating just at the idea of going and doing this right that's your body and your ego to at least what I've learned and um, correct me if I'm wrong people that are listening I'm sure Um, I'm sure they would (laughs) if they were listening but I to what I understand that's your ego being like we need to survive Like, this is a dangerous situation. We've never been in front of these people, and we don't know what's going to happen. We might die if we go on video on Instagram, you know? So you practice, right? Like you're saying, you go and you choose to go against the fearful thing and do it anyways. And that takes a lot of energy. That takes a lot of, like, like, I don't believe in willpower, so this is not really that's it takes a lot of courage to go and do it anyways and I guess that's a silly and also really drastic um, point that I'm trying to make to make where I'm going but the point I'm trying to make is like something silly as that could potentially make somebody freeze and not be able to do it because it's so hard to look past the fear, then wouldn't that be something that would also play in the day-to-day just on, like, a smaller scale of, like, oh, that makes me anxious. Uh, No, I'm uncomfortable. No, thank you. What happened there was still a choice um, made through uh, adrenaline. So I I know what you're talking about. It's, like, it's called neural... Something. It's not cognitive behavioral therapy. It's is that what it is? It's something else. Neural. Mm, I can't. I don't know the actual. It's like professional the, term. It, it's this way of therapy where they look at you know, uh, this variable produces this response in your brain. Yeah. Now, how do you interrupt that and change it so that it works for you? Yeah. And I think that's really cool and awesome. And I don't. I don't see a problem with it. But and I. I know that adrenaline can make you do things that you're conscious mind you wouldn't normally do choices you wouldn't normally make because your brain is shutting out all this other stuff that would normally come into play when you're making a decision yeah other people's opinions other people's safety you know your adrenaline is like let's prioritize what's important Mm -hmm. and uh, so i can see how that would affect your decisions but the reality is at the end of the day while that's happening you still are making decisions they're affected yeah. strongly by something else. Yeah. And that's... I'm not saying that you're uh, 100% responsible for things you do. But you are still making decisions. And um, people who say that they were stopped in a certain situation from doing something. You know, if I can't... If I am afraid of water mm-hmm. and I see a kid drowning... 
Yeah. I don't think I could use the argument and still feel good at the end of the day that I was afraid of water and that caused me not to do anything. Yeah, but at that point, there's a different chemical that's pumping through you as well, though, at the same time. I think that we're, well, we're talking about fear stopping you. Yeah. And I don't think fear ever stops you. I think you allow it to stop you so that you can be more comfortable. Yes, I agree with that. And that's the point I'm trying to make is like everybody has a different level of fear to different situations. To like the simplest situations that may be really easy for some, one person to choose between may be way harder for somebody else to choose between. And uh and the thing about it is, like, I mean, based off that that theory of um, cognitive, what did you say? Cong- oh, I don't know if it's actually okay. what, what the well, definition of that is. Anyways, cognitive behavioral therapy. I don't think that's what it's called. I don't think but. it is. It's like, it, it, if we're going off of that, though, the fear, if you, the, the bummer part, <laughs> is the more that you choose to go towards the comfort... And uh, just keep doing that. Then the more you're affirming to your brain, okay, that's what's going to make us feel good. We're going to keep continuing to go towards the comfort. And the fear is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Or the anxiety is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger to go the opposite direction. Whereas if you choose to make more choices towards facing the fear, is what they say, or stepping towards that thing anyways the more that that part of your brain's gonna go oh this isn't as bad as we thought this is okay this is fine we're safe we're okay and kind of diminishing that anxious part that's why people that have like stage fright if they continue to do it may not have as much stage fright can't say that for everybody i'm sure that's people still like continue but they continue to do it and then when they're done they're like that felt so good and they actually also say, at least I've heard, they say, the Googles, <laughs> Google and people that have talked, um, the almighty Google, uh, <laughs> uh, that if you can use the fear, you can actually, it has the same chemical compound as excitement. Have you heard this before? I've heard heard something similar that nervousness is the same as excitement. It's just your perception of it that changes. Yeah. So the same chemical is running through your body in Mm -hmm. both instances. That uh, if that's true, now that that would be like extra affirming for your theory, because at that point it's really is just a matter of like this is not fear, this is excitement, and then just go forth. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess what I'm really trying to say is that I, I'm i not trying to make it sound easy that we have these choices no. to make, and I would never, you know, belittle people that are having a hard time with making decisions to overcome that fear, Yeah. but I, at the end of the day, I don't think you needed anything to sponsor that choice. I think that you could have made that choice regardless. Right. Granted... You know, my my thing about self-help books and all that is that people use it as 
you know, isn't this so great? It told me exactly what I needed to do. That's one of the problems that I have with self-help books and stuff like that. And I think there is valuable information in there, like I said before, but I think you could have had these ideas regardless if the problem was that important to you to fix. I think that you, yes, can get inspiration from these things, but if you really genuinely wanted to solve something about your life that you kept doing, you would have had that realization because this person, unless they have a PhD and they're telling you about a chemical, you know, and the science of it, and that's helped you, you know, but most of the time these self-help books are written by people that tell you to get up early in the morning and that will solve all your problems. And, you know, that's obviously re reductionist. I don't mean yeah, to do that. I was going to say. I don't mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> these people have, their they own have life experiences. Yes, and they have advice that they can give you that that they have. <laughs> Just they say what you're gonna say. Give you their life, <laughs> and you can use that as a model to model yourself, your own after for inspiration. Fine, whatever. But I'm saying that you could have had an idea that was better for you. Very nice. If you were really invested in. The problems that you were having and fixing them if you really wanted to break out of your comfort zone because I think when you're having a consistent problem with that it's about comfort zones sure whether you know it or not you're comfortable right making a certain decision that you're making you may not even know what it is yeah miserable or not <laughs> yeah it's what you're used to and I'm not trying to pin the blame either on like financial situations I think those are different I think people have decisions made for them in that regard but that's a whole nother episode yes <laughs> but what i'm saying is at the end of the day you have the decisions that you make and uh yeah that's you're responsible for them and okay and for inspiring your own decisions and how i see it is i and we've had this discussion before i would first like to say that i agree with the points that you are making. I would like to add, though, that everybody learns different ways. And so one person is going to learn better by sitting and thinking about it and problem solving on their own. Others are going to do better if they have somebody to verbal process with and kind of bounce ideas off of and get their brain going that way. And I kind of believe, like, at least for me, those books are my way of having, like, someone almost verbal process with. So they are telling me their story and then I have aha moments of clicking in and being like, oh, well, that makes sense. And then I'm like, interesting. And then I start to kind of go off and think about other things. And then I can go hang out with like a group of my friends and we will be chatting. And maybe these are two separate things. So the self-help book is more like a, I would say verbal, I, I also verbal process, <laughs> but obviously as you're hearing, but when I speak to my friends and we're going back and forth, they can tell me something about their experience 
and it's going to click something within me. And then when I go to give them advice or maybe I'm just like talking to them about my problems, there's a moment there where I'll be maybe giving them advice about something and I'll go, that's actually the advice that I needed to hear. And so I feel like when you cut off those types of books and you cut off the uh, having people in your life that you're getting advice from or maybe spiritual, I mean, excuse me, um, uh, mentors or coaches and stuff like that, you're cutting off a whole different way of learning. And I'm not saying that everybody needs that type of learning. You obviously do not need that type of learning. But some people do. It's just how their brain is able to connect the dots. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe I'm being a little bit unfair because I started off the episode by saying that I got into philosophy by reading and... Yeah, that's true. You know, maybe I'm just having a different kind of dialogue. I think it's more about how you prefer to learn. Yeah. Probably. And... I don't know. That's a good point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this podcast is, as a stream of consciousness, we've we've done it with this one. (laughs) (laughs) We've come full circle. We have, I think we've hit 20 subjects in under under an hour. We, We ended up not talking about what I came to this episode. Typical. To, to talk about, which is great because yeah. free write is supposed to be a stream of consciousness. We're just two people, yeah, talking. We're not aliens. We're not. I mean, I kind of hope that I'm a little. Oh, sorry. Okay. No. Okay, we're not aliens. These people have to believe us. <laughs> we're, we're human. Not do that. <laughs> sorry. Jeez, I trusted you. <laughs> you had one job. <laughs> we'll just edit it out. It's fine. God. We'll never know. <laughs> Well, you want to call it? Yes. I appreciate this conversation. I knew at the beginning that when you started with that question that that was not how we were going to end the conversation, but it was a really good start. So I appreciate you coming with that question. I'm glad I could provide a starting point, a kicking off point for your ideas. Oh, (laughs) sassy. I'm glad that we could move quickly away from what I want to talk about. I tried so hard. <laughs> no, it's fine. We ended up having a better conversation than we would have had with my subject anyway. So. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry it's okay. about it. Oh, again, just cry. Again. Yet again. That's three for three. I end up crying myself to sleep. <laughs> so. Oh, no. Good job. I did it. I'm just winning left and right with these things. <laughs> awesome. Say goodbye to the nice people. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and listening. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe and follow us. Make a comment, review, do whatever. Share this with your friends. And uh, we hope to hear from you soon. Bye. Bye. We'd like to thank Steve Combs for his tracks New Rock and A Loop to Kill For. Thanks for listening, and catch you next time.